Christ the Holy Servant Church in Buffalo, New York presents weekly sermons and homilies from Father Joshua Baker and Deacon Alan Strauss. Father Joshua is a priest in the CEC dedicated to spreading the message of the gospel and celebrating the ancient faith and worship of the church. CTHS is a family of families, a place to belong and grow, a house of prayer. And now, here's Father Josh. So, um, we're still knee-deep in the pandemic. We're still stuck at home. And the more that I'm locked away, the more that I'm beginning to realize just how much I need Jesus in my life. Because there's not enough distraction in my life anymore. I've had so many more times where I know I'm frustrated, I know I'm out of good ideas, and I have nowhere else to go and nothing else to do than to simply be alone with myself and Jesus. And one of us is not good company. You know what I mean? And while I'm a believer, and this has honestly been a beautiful thing, because Jesus has the ability to comfort and to guide you through the Holy Spirit, for me it's also very scary. Because when it's just you and Jesus, one of you is cracked and ugly and imperfect and broken, and you know it's not him. And maybe that's why I don't really like to do that all that often. And so we end up filling our lives with distractions and with things to keep us busy and things to pass the time. And we just have to do, 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 make, make, make. And it seems like this is the perfect time to remember that God did not make us to be human doings, but human beings. That before he put us to work in Genesis, he showed us who we are. And who we are meant to be. And that is simply put, to be children of the Most High King, the Almighty God. And I think the disciples of Jesus had to learn that too. Because all throughout this season of Easter, we're given these resurrection appearances of Jesus to the people that he loves. And he shows them who he is. And when they see who Jesus really is, they end up seeing who they really are. They see the good and the bad. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be in the book of John chapter 20. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a few things I realized about the disciples from looking at this passage today. And that's before Jesus was taken away from them, they were completely focused on what Jesus could do for them. Jesus, you have the power to overthrow the Roman Empire. You can feed an army. You can make bread multiply. You can become king. And I could sit on your left-hand side, my brother on your right-hand side. You can heal the sick. You can raise the dead. The people that we love, you can cure their diseases. And they were so focused on what you can do, what you can do, what you can do. And like so many other things... And so many other relationships in our lives, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And after Jesus was given back to them on the third day, once he had conquered death, and that God the Father gave his son back to them, 
they began to realize the only thing that matters is no longer what Jesus can do for us, but when Jesus can be with us. For three years, they had the best thing they could have ever had right there with them all along, and that was being in the presence of Jesus, spending time with him. And when he was taken away, they realized that the person that Jesus is is so much more important than what he can do for us. And it seems like every time Jesus spoke about himself, you realize it wasn't, I can do this, I can do that. Every time Jesus spoke, he said, I am the way, the truth. I am the life. When he spoke of his father, he said, God is good. God is love. And I'll be honest with you, before the pandemic, I was totally focused on what should the body of Christ in this place be doing? We can do more. We should be doing more. What should we should be doing more? And if there's one thing I've learned from this pandemic time is how amazing it will simply be to be together again as the body of Christ in this place. Sometimes you don't know what's important to you until you can't have it anymore. And I've realized I need more of Jesus in my life, and I need him to be revealed to me in the breaking of the bread and in each one of you being here in this place. And I can't wait for that to be given back. And if you've realized that the body of Christ means that much to you too, praise God with an amen wherever you are. So go ahead and we're going to dive into John. And so please flip or click or swipe or whatever you got to do to get to John chapter 20. And I want you to remember what we learned last week about the gospel of John is that it's built as a chiasm. You have shadow on one side and light on the other side. So we have to go back and remember the shadow first in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, Jesus gets baptized And John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, He ranks before me because he was alive before me. And I came so that he might be revealed. And I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John chapter 20, verse 19 says, On the evening of that same day, this is still a resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Baptism of the Holy Spirit 
is a powerful thing. And when a bishop is consecrated, and the patriarchs or the other bishops come and lay their hands on them, and apostolic authority is delivered onto that person, is conferred onto that person, the person who was there before, whether he was deacon or priest or monk, is now changed into a completely new creation. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And if you've been baptized with water, but you're not living as a new creation, then the Holy Spirit is always ready and waiting to turn you into something new. Something that God needs you to be. And in this moment, all of the disciples, when Jesus breathed on them, they all became bishops in that moment. They became trusted with the power and the authority that Jesus won when he defeated the enemy. When he went into the gates of hell and into death and he stormed the gates and he defeated all of it. And he said, here is the authority I have won. I have to give it to you. As soon as Jesus defeated death, the very first thing he does, on the very first night, it's not... He, it's almost like he, he's saying, I can't even let you guys sleep on this. Now you know I'm alive. You've gotten reports. You know I'm not in that tomb anymore. I can't wait any longer. I have got to give you this right now. Now tell me something. If Jesus defeated death, what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. So as soon as he had defeated death, the very minute, the very day he had defeated death, the first thing he has to do, the first minute he sees his disciples is say, I now give you the power to forgive the wages of death. He didn't say, hey guys, what's up? What's been happening? I want to hear how your weekend was. That was crazy, wasn't it? Of the cross and all that. You want to hear uh, where my shroud's going to end up? He didn't do that. He said, can I explain to you those two pieces of cloth? Those were really important. Listen to last week's sermon. He didn't do that. Instead, he said, I just got back from war. And I won. And here are the spoils of that war. Receive the Holy Spirit. You now have my power over sin and death. And with that authority and that power came urgency saying, do you know how many people out there need this right now? Do you know how many out there are in bondage to sin and to death and they're trapped and they can't get out of it and they need, they're going to end up separated from God forever unless you get out there and announce that they have already been forgiven and that who the Lord frees is free indeed. And if you don't pronounce absolution for them, no one else will. It's up to you. So now you know how John works. We have to go back to the shadow to understand this. John chapter 1. Jesus is calling the 12 disciples. And he, he calls a few of them. And one of them that he called named Philip goes to his best friend Nathaniel, who's known in other places as Bartholomew. And he tells him, we found him. We found the Messiah. And Bartholomew can't believe that the Messiah could come from one of the most backwater, redneck places in all of Israel. And all it took was Jesus telling him, Philip, I know where you were. Or Nathaniel, I know where Philip found you. You were sitting under a fig tree. 
And Nathaniel instantly believes and says, <laughs> I'll tell you later what he says, but Jesus' response was, really, that's all it was? You're going to believe because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, and that because of that you believe? Well, you're going to see even greater things than that. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We have one skeptic turned believer by Jesus giving him evidence of who he was. Nathaniel would continue on and preach all over the world and he would become most famous in a place called Armenia, but he also is recorded as having preached in India. And remember, Nathaniel here in John's story is the shadow. He's something that is, he's someone that's convinced by something as earthly as knowing where he had been 15 minutes ago. That was enough to convince him. Something as earthly and banal as that was enough to convince him. Continuing on, John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, he wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Another skeptic disciple saying, I want to see it. I want to touch it. I want to put my hands into his wounds. I cannot simply believe because you said so. And it's not even that I won't believe you. I'm not even going to believe my eyes. I'm not even going to believe my ears if they tell me he's alive. I need my hands. I need physical proof. I need scientific evidence of the physical testing of the resurrection. That's going to be the only thing that's going to convince me. Now, <clears throat> listen. You've heard me say this before, if you've heard me preach about this, that Thomas gets a bad rap in the Western world. Because maybe it's because his ministry took him east instead of west. He didn't go to Rome. He didn't go to France. He went east. And maybe that's why in the Western world we kind of give him that distasteful thing. I don't know. But I honestly think that this whole doubting Thomas thing has gotten way out of hand. We don't have naysaying Nathaniel. We don't have spurning Simon Peter. So why do we have doubting Thomas? You know what the Orthodox call him on his feast day? They don't say the feast day of doubting Thomas. They say the feast day of holy, glorious Apostle Thomas. When you look at the icons, the way that the earliest churches put it down how we need to remember these people, these heroes of the faith. The, the earliest icons, you know what it says when they depict this scene? Because it's so important. They say, the touching of Thomas. They don't say, Thomas touched. They say, Thomas was touched. The Slavonic icons say, the belief of Thomas. Not the doubt, the belief. I believe if everyone got labeled for the lowest moments of their faith walk with Christ, I don't think any of us would like our nicknames. 
jittery Josh doesn't have a good ring to it. You know what I mean? So here comes the light. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And I have to stop just for a second. I can't pass it up, because you know that the Apostle John never did things on accident. His book is so filled and so rich with symbolism, and I know it's going to sound strange, but even the number that he used, the number eight, is so important, and it sticks out too much. Now, everyone knows the number seven because we have seven days in the week, right? That's easy to remember. It's in our lives all over the place. But what about the number eight? Did you know that there were eight people on the ark? Did you know that Abraham had eight sons? Did you know that there were eight authors of the New Testament? Only eight. And not only that, but Jesus was directed, was resurrected on the eighth day during the eighth watch, after being selected as the true Paschal Lamb, following the pattern of Passover. What do all these things have in common? What do they tell us about the number eight in biblical ways of thinking? All of these things are the new beginnings of the world. They're a time where a new order came in where a new creation was made, where a new relationship with God was given to us. The Ark, Abraham, the New Testament. And you know, it's funny, when Peter gave his list of his apostles to his nephew Mark, and Mark wrote it down in Mark chapter 3, it goes like this. Simon, who was the first among equals, okay? Simon, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. Thomas was almost always the eighth disciple listed. And on the eighth day, Thomas was with them and the disciples were inside again because this is the new beginning of Thomas. And it continues in verse 26 and it says, Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said again, He said it without waiting. He said it without asking for an explanation. He said it without needing anyone to explain anything to him. He desperately needed to accomplish something. He had a mission and a goal and he was focused. And so he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and put it in my side. And do not disbelieve, but believe. This is not the story of a man who doubted. This is the story of a resurrected faith of a child of God. This is the story of Jesus reaching out and touching Thomas's life, touching his heart and his soul, saying, I came here for you and for you alone, because each one of you is that important to me that I would come for you. And each one of you who are listening to this today, you need to know that Jesus is touching your life in this moment. That he has a massive love for you and that he will always come for you. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And when Jesus did that to Nathanael, Nathanael said, I know who you are to others. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. But even that was a shadow. 
And the light is Thomas's reaction. He didn't say, I know who you are to other people. He says, I know who you are to me. You're not the, you're mine. You're not out there somewhere impersonal, related to others. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. You can never be somewhere where Jesus isn't looking for you. You're always with him. He is always present with you. You are never alone. And we are always together when he is with us. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? You hear the same way of talking as he did to Nathanael. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's the light, but then there's a greater eternal light told to us in the book of Revelation where John says, Blessed is the one who reads the word of God aloud. And blessed are those who are near. I'm sorry, blessed are those who hear, who keep what is written, for the time is near. Grace and peace to you who was and is and is to come from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, by your radiant and magnificent resurrection, you broke the bonds of death and rose from the grave as a conqueror. You reconciled heaven and earth. Our life had no hope of eternal happiness before you redeemed us. Your resurrection has washed away our sins, has restored our innocence, and has brought us joy How inestimable is the tenderness of your love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. You've been listening to sermons and homilies from Christ the Holy Servant Church in Buffalo, New York, delivered weekly by Father Joshua and Deacon Allen. If you'd like to connect with us or find out more, visit our website at ChristTheHolyServant.com. Join us for live prayer every morning at 7 a.m. or join us for worship on our Facebook page at Facebook.com backslash ChristTheHolyServant or on YouTube by searching for Christ the Holy Servant. We hope this has blessed you and helped you come closer to God our Father. And now may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, 
May God hold you in the palm of his hand.